Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affects all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and this is Valentine's Day. So I wanted to start out by saying a very, very happy and very love-filled day to all those who are in love, who used to be in love, who hope to be in love, and just love all around. We're, you know, in the middle of a dark pandemic, and on days like today, it reminds me, it reminds me that it's, you know, it's all about spreading the love. I make it a practice to make a couple of phone calls to people in my life who may have lost their partners um, along the way and, and just to spread a little love and a little sunshine. So, you know, that's my challenge to the Sunday editioners, the Sunday edition listeners this week when we uh, when we wrap up our brunch in here, you know, pick up, pick up the phone and reach out to one or two of the people in your life who may not have anyone to share our Valentine's Day with today. I also want to quickly remind everybody that uh, Tuesday, February 16th is the last day to register for Leadership Week. Um, There's some great seminars planned. Clark has gone all out to make sure that we have all the information we need to do these virtual visits. He's put out information on how to get your your visit scheduled. Um, And it's it's really going to be the you know the president's meeting and and um, the breakout sessions that they have for us are really going to be exciting. Byron, if we can mute everybody, except for me and you, um, that way we don't have feedback, I would thank you so much. Um, And while you are muting everybody, what does NextGen have going on in the uh, next month or so? Um, In the next month or so, we are going to be doing a um, Saturday night live event centering around Black History Month. And we're going to have um, BPI's own, uh, own Will Burley speaking and also Peggy Garrett from MCAC. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. And BPI has, um, with also with Will Burley, we've uh, set up a book share about the book, The Prophets. It is the story of two uh, two men that were slaves brought over to the new world who were intimately involved had, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, a marriage. And because of um, changes in religion during their um, their time on the plantation, their lives are turned upside down. Um, and it's a great journey. And BPI will be discussing that book. Um, I think it's February 22nd. Um, but email membership at blindlgbtpride.org for information and an invite. Um, a fascinating, fascinating book. I want to say hello to friend of the show, Lori Scharf. I heard her pop in. Um, I Later on in the show, we'll be talking to Renee from Lazarillo, an amazing app if you ever tried it out. Then uh, definitely stay tuned to the conversation. They're adding some great new features we'll be talking about and I'll take some questions and answers. But first, uh, being Valentine's Day, both of my guests 
had other plans and asked me if I would pre-record. So for this week, I pre-recorded an amazing conversation with first Vice President Mark Reichert and Lee Nasahi. So Byron, I'm ready to roll it if you are. I am here with ACB's first Vice President Mark Reichert and Lee, oh, please let me get this right, Nasahi. Pretty close. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Vision Serve Alliance. We're going to be talking about policymaking for our community, but we're also going to be getting to know these lovely fine folks. I'm going to start off with Mark. Mark, welcome to Sunday Edition. How are you? Fantastic. Great to be here. Appreciate uh, your patience and, and having all of us coordinate our crazy schedules to make this happen. So I'm excited to be a part of this. Awesome. We're excited to have you on Sunday edition. So for the folks that know your name but don't really know you very well, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and when you first came to ACB. Excellent. Uh, so I want to be careful to remember to say that in addition to my volunteer life and my commitment to my the world's best, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, com uh, consumer organization, the American Council of the Blind, serving as first vice during my day time, I served currently as the interim executive director of the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired, which in addition to being the longest name likely in the blindness field for an organization, uh, also is the professional membership organization. Uh, so if you're a teacher of students' vision impairments, an O&Mer, rehabber, and folks all in between and above and beyond and wherever else, uh, you are likely and should be one of our our members. So it's my honor to work with them. And then since January of this year, and I expect we'll be talking a good bit about this, Lee Nasahi uh, invited AER and yours truly on AER's behalf to serve as Vision Serve Alliance's Director of Public Policy. Uh, so I've been playing that role since the beginning here of 2021, which has been a tons of fun and looking forward to growing that partnership. I've been blind all my life, which means I have almost 52 years of experience. Uh, <laughs> lived experience with vision loss. Uh, gosh, grew up in Southern Florida. I moved to Washington, D.C. in 1990 to do an internship that summer and then start law school in the fall. So I am a licensed attorney in the state of Florida. Never practiced a day of law in my life. So that means my advice is, you know, useless on several uh, fronts, I guess. I've been a part of the American Council of the Blind Community really since uh, moving up to Washington, D.C. Certainly was affiliated with the consumer groups before then. Uh, and certainly I know my, my parents, particularly my mother, really appreciated the support uh, that comes from those connections. In my adult life, it really was from the beginning of the early 1990s. Nice. I know um, in the past you, you've had a lot of um, relationship with American Federation. I know that you've, um, you've chaired several task force for the various consumer organizations coming together. And you have our, our community at heart and mind pretty much at all times. So first and foremost, you know, thank you so much for serving as first vice president. Thank you for all the advocacy work that you do. And I, I would love to transition for a moment into the advocacy work that we'll be doing the end of this month. The uh, new version, the reimagined, the 2.0 version of DC Leadership Week. What are you looking forward to from this year's? Clark Rockfall did not pay me to say this, but this is really a good opportunity for me to say it. And I've said it to him uh, and to his boss, Eric Bridges, directly, so I'm not telling tales out of school. I think that ACB has never had it better with the staff leadership helping all of us do good advocacy work on 
Capitol Hill and frankly around the country. Clark is awesome and I can brag on him not only because I'm first vice and he's on our staff, but once upon a time for about 20 minutes, I actually you know sat in that chair as a, a staff member. And uh, I hate it when people show me up and, and Clark shows, shows all of us up all the time. And it's really all kidding aside, um, ACB is really, really blessed to have Clark in that role. So what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing the fruits of his labor and not just his, uh, you know, it's, it's a combination legislative effort as well as a president's meeting for our uh, chapter leadership and, and beyond. So both Lee and I are going to be participating in an exercise not unlike this one, uh, where she and I will be interviewed or part of a panel that President Dan Spoon uh, is conducting Sunday evening, uh, February 21st, I think 7.30 p.m., of course, carried on ACB radio. Um, so looking forward to being part of that. But there's a, several days of uh, breakout sessions and general sessions, stuff that I know will be really exciting and relevant. And uh, Lee and I are participating in a couple of those, too. Yeah. In pre-show conversation, I actually found out that Lee is representing Florida. And I'm, I've been working with Debbie Grubb and the Florida team to put our virtual Hill visits together. Yep. zone by district, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm really, A, excited to have been trusted with being part of that team, that committee, and, and B, excited to open up our experience virtually to members who, for various reasons, job reasons, child care, health care, parental care, and of course, cost, have not been able to make it to D.C. for the physical meetings. It's opening up. I know we've got a great representation from Florida. I hear New York's got great representation. And I'm sure yeah. all the other states are pulling out all the stops. But if you have not registered, February 16th is the deadline. There are plenty of podcasts. Uh, Clark is doing this week three by the time this airs. He has done three um, podcasts on the imperatives with some amazing information. And you have until Tuesday the 16th to register. So if you haven't, please do. It's $20. So very well spent. Like Mark said, those breakout sessions are going to give you all kinds of information, not only about the, the Hill visits themselves, but stuff that you can take back to your local chapters and affiliates and, and really use to drive membership and, and to make your affiliate or, or uh, chapter stronger. So thanks, Mark, for, for giving us a little bit about that. And I'm going to ask you to do the honors of introducing Lee. Uh, oh, sure. Wow. No problem. That's exciting. Uh, Lee, how much is it worth to you? Uh, <laughs> let's, let, let's let's start the bidding at a thousand, and we'll uh, see where we go from there. Uh, so, not only does Lee Nasahi have hands down the best laugh in the blindness and vision impairment world, Lee, I'm proud to call a friend and a very valued colleague, and now formally a uh, formal partner uh, in the wild, wonderful world of advocacy for particularly for. Well, on a host of issues, but particularly uh, on aging and vision loss, which because of the leadership that Lee uh, has exercised in here, I guess still relatively new role. When did you uh, join officially as CEO, president, CEO of Vision Service Alliance? I can't remember the year. Yeah, March 1st, two years ago, coming up on two years. There you go. In that two-year period of time, um, really kind of turning things around and uh, assuming the helm on a number of projects, the American Foundation for the Blind uh, for many years worked on, as well as we all did, but especially no one more than they, uh, on aging and vision loss. And as AFB's priorities have shifted a bit, they invited Lee and Vision Serve Alliance to take those reins. And uh, uh, she, uh, Lee has taken them, and, and, and that horse is, is, is galloping, I'll tell you. Uh, so Lee, uh, for many years, served as the president and CEO of what was 
first called site, but now what's the formal name down there? Lighthouse of Central Florida? Lighthouse, Lighthouse Central Works. Florida and its subsidiary Lighthouse Works. Which is a, a, an affiliate of the National Industries for the Blind uh, yep. Ability One uh, program. So right. Lee, I first met Lee, I think in 2004 at what was at that time, you know, uh, under a different name, but essentially VisionServe Alliance, uh, when yours truly was first serving as eight yards executive director in the early 2000s. And it was a real pleasure and uh, value to me. And I've said this, Lee, to you privately. You know, I was 31, 32 years old. I, I must have slipped something in the drink of the AER board that hired me back then. They were very kind to bring me on. I'd like to think I had something to offer, but I had a quantum leap of things to learn about being in a, a CEO role. And to be able to go to meetings like uh, that of Vision Serve Alliance and sit down with people who've been in the field, frankly, for years and years in the CEO role to kind of have them put their arm around you and say, hey, kid, it'll be fine. Here's what you got to do. Or don't make the same mistakes I made was really valuable to me. So that's my introduction for Lee. Awesome. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us as well. Same kind of question. Tell us a little bit about yourself leading up to your advocacy work and, and um, some interaction that you've had with the American Council of the Blind beforehand. Sure. Thank you for having me, Anthony. And that was a nice introduction, Mark. Thank you. I consider Mark a very good friend and ally, partner, colleague in this field, too, and had the pleasure of working with him for many years. As I have with many of ACB's members, I am part of this whole community thanks to my son, Joe, which many of you know. Um, and today just happens to be Joe's 40th birthday. So I was lamenting the fact that, how is it possible I have a 40-year-old son? But somehow I do. And um, I'm not That wasn't an immaculate that. conception or anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not <laughs> lamenting the fact that I have a son, just that yeah. I don't know how yeah, he could but... be that old. Joe was born when I was just 25 weeks pregnant and he weighed one pound, 14 ounces. Um, 40 years ago, that was a pretty big deal, and he survived in spite of all odds, and um, he did come away with it with a few issues. He, um, of course, RLF, retrolental fibroplasia, he um, is blind, but he more significantly has cerebral palsy, and he's cognitively impaired. He was my connection to the program that Mark mentioned, SIGHT. We, my husband and I and Joe, were all clients there. And um, frankly, that organization saved our lives when we didn't know what to do. And Joe has given us a life we would never have known, a beautiful life, introduced us to so many people. Ultimately, I had the opportunity and privilege to work at SITE and became its chief executive in 2000 and was there just about 20 years. And it was a, just a wonderful journey. And so through my work there, got to meet all the wonderful members in the larger blindness community. Uh, worked with so many members of ACB. Dan Spoon and Leslie Spoon were very, are still involved with Lighthouse Central Florida. Dan is on the board there as well. So we became good friends. He's one of the First people I spoke to when I was a, a brand new CEO trying to figure out what to do, and his advice was extremely valuable. So now here at VisionServe Alliance, I was ready to move on 
Lighthouse has a brand new, wonderful leader. They have a great leadership team. Roxanne Mayros, my predecessor here at VisionServe Alliance, was ready to retire. And um, I'm glad that I'm here now. It's great to be at this vantage point in this perspective, working with the whole community. I have um, just learned so much about the field while I was working at Lighthouse. And it's my passion. I don't know how I can ever stop it now because there's a lot of work to be done. I feel like this is the year of innovation and change and partnership, and it's a pleasure to be part of it. So let me say from Sunday edition and our ACB members who are listening, first and foremost, happy birthday to Joe. Um, hope, <laughs> hope that those treats that you picked up go off, you know, with big hugs and lots of excitement, enthusiasm. Thank you. Um, you mentioned you mentioned something that that um, strikes home for me. Um, Sunday edition is involved in a series of conversations that I've titled "Losing Sight Midlife," you know, with a semicolon suddenly, which of course is is my story. Uh, and you know, what I'm I'm most passionate about is the grieving process and and understanding that you know nobody can step into the various rehabilitation roles or the workforce roles, et cetera, et cetera, until they, they've dealt with the emotions surrounding losing sight. Um, right. And Vision Serve Alliance, you know, from my limited perspective at this moment, and please correct me if, if I'm minimalizing it, is a coalition that brings together a lot of strategic partners in, in the consumer organizations and beyond to create common goals and to move forward with them. Do I have that right? Absolutely, you said it very beautifully. We're, we're a leadership collective um, working on those bigger national, maybe international issues that no one of us can tackle alone. So we've recently moved from one administration to another. Do you have a renewed sense of energy based on, on the transition, the, what we hope will continue to be a peaceful transition of power going forward? Does that bring new energy to what, uh, what Vision Serve Alliance is working on and, and you and, and Mark, you, you as well personally? Oh yeah, definitely. I can't say I've fully exhaled yet. Um, <laughs> there's still a few events that I'm waiting to complete to see <laughs> where we land. But, but yeah, I mean, it's totally, it's changed our outlook. We're much more optimistic and, and hopeful. There's new people to talk to. And uh, we have started discussing that. What do you think, Mark? Couldn't agree with you more. I, I feel obligated to say that both of our organizations, of course, being good nonprofits are avowedly nonpartisan, but, yes. I, but, but, but I think we all, you know, it would be naive of any of us to think that we don't have our personal and very strong feelings about things. But I will say that in uh, mid-November of 2016, uh, after Mr. Trump uh, won that election, I, you know, wrote kind of an open letter to the field, basically saying, I'll summarize it for you here, just by essentially saying to people who were you know, rabid uh, Trump opponents, as well as people who were quite enthusiastic about his taking the reins, that we, we can all have our personal feelings about that. But we do need to recognize that just because somebody is in one particular political party or another is no guarantee that either they understand our issues or that they will be a champion for our oh, issues. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are, you know, and to be very direct about it, uh, there are some of the most conservative to the right as they can get Republicans who uh, nevertheless are some of our biggest champions. I don't That's know if correct. Mr. McKinley from West Virginia would agree with my characterization of him in that category, but certainly Mr. McKinley uh, is uh, quite conservative and his voting record shows it. 
And yet this gentleman, because of his personal lived experience with deafness and having a, a grandchild with disabilities, is our principal Republican champion on the Cogswell Macy bill, which if you don't know what that is, we can talk about it another time, but essentially the, you know, the major special ed bill that we've all been pressing in our field for a while. It's just a perfect illustration of how no matter where people sit in the spectrum, uh, you find your friends wherever you can find them, and we actively try to cultivate that. The same is true, by the way, on the Democratic side. Just because someone may be interested and willing to have uh, to spend more money on federal programs and the like doesn't necessarily mean that they believe in specialized services uh, targeted at specific disability groups. That's right. And uh, so some of our biggest champions uh, are friends. Otherwise, they're might be aggressively on the other side. So the short answer to your question, are we enthusiastic? Yes. And I think there's always a reason to be with a new administration, a new Congress, no matter which political party is in charge. To wrap up this point, what makes this particular moment in history unique is that, uh, or rare anyhow, is when you have the same party, at least for now, uh, controlling both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, no matter yeah. how we each individually feel about what those people produce for purposes of our field and the work that we do in advocacy, it means it's going to be a wild ride for the next 18 months because stuff is going to be – once they get through this impeachment stuff, the doors are going to be blown off that thing. And, and so we are going to have to be unbelievably responsive and agile to, frankly, keep up uh, with what will be 18 months worth of just unbelievable opportunity to get some things done. Wow, Mark, I could not have said it better myself. And and I come from a varying intersectionality perspectives, both um, LGBTQ, I've done fundraising and, and policy organization for autism for years. Those, you know, those are my two passions. Until, of course, five years ago, when I came into this world, and, and ever since I came into the American Council of the Blind, I'm not going to say that my, my focus has shifted, it's just expanded. And my family so to speak, has grown. Uh, you know, I've added another child to the ranks, and um, I'm a fierce protector of my children. So thank you. I could not have said that better. You know, buzzwords for the American Council of the Blind in the last two years have definitely been core values. So talking about Vision Serve Alliance and, and your strategic partnership, Lee and, and Mark, what are the core values that you guys put forward? Shall I start? Sure. I think one of our, our big core values is collaboration and not just pretty words, but I, I just- I can hear Dan Spoon clapping. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just our fields, but there's a lot of still silos in the blindness community and competition and territorialism. But I'm here to tell you, it, it is definitely better than it, it was. I see organizations and people, leaders coming together and genuinely putting their money where their mouths are. Let's work together and get some things done. As such a small incidence, relatively speaking, field, it does not serve us well to be running in 12 different directions. And so I, I think this year you're going to see even more of that with organizations focusing on a few important issues. And if we all come together, I believe we can get some things accomplished where we haven't before. It's, you know, maybe a relatively new brand or rebranding, tweaking of Vision Serve Alliance's brand where um, Vision Serve Alliance's leadership is not the staff. It is our members. We are a leadership collective. And to the extent Vision Serve is successful 
in cause of the engagement um, and involvement of the wonderful leaders in our field. We're very pleased to have more than 120, what are we up to? Maybe 125 uh, organizations that belong to Vision Serve Alliance and then another 25 or so individuals and that number. I'm gonna use Carla Gusto's term, the blind biz as an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And we, we all need each other and all, we need all of those parts of the system, parts of the body to be healthy. One part can't be unhealthy and the rest of us healthy. So collaboration yeah. is a big one. How about you, Mark? I, for sure, amen to all that. I also think that a core value, certainly for me, and I know uh, Lee shares it, and we want to evangelize it really, is being engaged and being involved, frankly, being responsive when the call comes out, hey, guys, it's time to weigh in with your policymaker or someone of influence locally or whatever. It's not an option. I mean, it's a free country still, as far as I know. Uh, So I guess it is technically an option. You can choose not to do it. But I would argue it shouldn't be. Um, And if I could wave some kind of magic wand, I would say if you're an agency leader, certainly if you are a quote-unquote rank-and-file professional, in other words, someone who could and should be an AER member, it should be an absolute requirement in your mind at least and in your heart that to be a quality agency head, a professional, really committed to the field, that means being engaged and involved. Now, I can hear already in the audience there a couple of folks who might say, well, that's a lovely thought, uh, but I have a job that might restrict my ability to do, Mark, all those lovely, you know, respond and call your member of Congress kind of stuff, to which I would say, I hear what you're saying. I think you have a lot less restriction on you than you might think you do, but I also hear you that, you know, people have bosses and if bosses tell them to do something, uh, it's usually good job security if you do what your boss tells you to do, uh, even if it might be a little overblown. But everybody has family, friends, networks, whomever, someone to talk to. Uh, so even those people who feel like they're restricted in what they can do, they certainly know people who could be. Uh, so no matter what the type of activity is, it's being willing to step up and speak out. I'll, I'll just I'll wrap up by giving you one example from a while ago, but I think it's a very relevant one. Hopefully all the listeners know that uh, for many years, particularly uh, leading up to the 2004 uh, I think I have that right. Uh, congressional review of the special ed law in this country, IDEA. We were really pushing for language having to do with making sure blind kiddos and well, all kids with print disabilities get their textbooks on time. And there were a lot of pieces that we don't have to go into all that. That effort, frankly, was kind of just lumping along, honestly, for as compelling as we might think it is, or a no-brainer that you know blind kids should get their textbooks on time to make that happen and to get members of Congress to help drive the processes and the changes that need to be made to make that happen. It was, just, it, was, it, was, it was lumping along. We weren't having a lot of success until we had one parent come down from New Hampshire who met with perhaps one of the crustiest, you know, stubbornest, whatever, Hill staffer you can imagine who's had literally seen it all, heard it all, and, uh, you know, was tough as nails. This parent was talking about how she was, you know, every night sitting up till 2 o'clock in the morning reading to her kiddo or, you know, trying to record stuff, and she just broke down in tears. And this staff person, humanity, took over and was sharing a tear with her, uh, an embrace. And let me tell you something, like night and day, that movement just ticked off in the Senate. And 
So I, I love the story not because I like to see moms cry, uh, but because it's a perfect example of how quite literally, even today, one person can make mm-hmm. a difference. It almost always is the only thing that ever does, that we can do all this group effort, and that's great, and, and it's indispensable work. You have to do that. I'm not suggesting that. But you do that because somewhere in that ginormous group of folk is going to be that one you know, starfish, right, that you're going to want to find who's going to make those kind of connections happen. So that's my little sermon. I mean, a core value, I think, to instill a better sense across the entire blindness field. To say this to American Council of Blind Members is really preaching to the choir, because I mean, I, I think us and ACB are always kind of been raging about this sort of thing. But generally, I think across the field, and I would say in the professional world, certainly among the agencies, public and private, there's been movements where that's happened. But we really need to instill that value of if you're going to be one of these people, if you're going to play in this sandbox, by golly, that means you're going to be involved and respond. Wow, I'm going to have to forward this to Clark. Um, because <laughs> that, that that also speaks, you know, to the advocacy piece that 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 they want to sell to us, that they're teaching us to, you know, one story, one person, a face, a voice to to the imperative can make all the difference in the world, and I truly believe that. I also, you know, am fond of throwing down challenges to my to my Sunday edition listeners, and I've thrown this one down a couple months ago, but it's a good moment for me to to reignite it. I always say to anyone who will hear it. I personally will never post something of a political nature on social media unless I'm following it with a letter or a call, an email, a pigeon to my one of my representatives. You know, if I if I have the time to put it on social media, then I have the extra five, 10 minutes to write an email or to make a phone call. And that's that's the gauntlet that I throw out because I think, you know, it's great to have the passion, but you also have to have, you know, the follow through and the initiative to to make that voice, you know, as loud as possible. Moving along to another portion of conversation, Lee, you mentioned earlier that there are many different challenges, many different things that we want to work at, that we need, you know, we need to look at as a community. But sometimes you kind of have to cut the fat. You have to you have to look at what is going to be most effective. I mean, we saw, of course, in 2020 because of COVID that, you know, voting, which had been lingering for years and years and years. And, and not that anybody wasn't paying attention. It just it had stalled. It had gone where it was going to go for that f- for a while. And then COVID came along and it opened up an incredible opportunity to move forward with voting initiatives. So what um what are the initiatives and imperatives and, and things that we're looking at for, for the next 18 months? And voting or in addition to voting? And voting is definitely one of them. But we had our, I think I mentioned to you before we went on air, yesterday we convened our national policy collaborative meeting, which is a monthly meeting of um, the leaders and, and policy staff of of all the national organizations in the blindness community. And that question was on the agenda. What are your organization's legislative priorities for 2021? And I recorded just shy of 30, you know, fairly unique issues. They're, they all overlap, of course, but, and, and these are all important. There's not one on that list that is trivial. So accessible voting, I mean, voting period is, is an issue right now, but Certainly how we move forward with accessible voting. And there are many wonderful state uh, movements. Uh, Florida Council of the Blind um, with ACB, I I heard, won their case in the state of Florida and is moving with some fun, you know, important initiatives there and elsewhere in the country, too. 
But I, I would say from my perspective and uh, VisionServe Alliances, because we're an organization primarily of service providers, Anthony. So, right. you know, that tends to be where my focus is. There's a cluster of issues that are related to the fact that we have no real business model for paying for professional vision rehabilitation services. And I was talking to a relatively new CEO, one of our members, who comes from the healthcare field, who is used to hiring professionals like occupational therapists and physical therapists and doctors and nurses. They provide a valuable service to a patient, and then you bill for that and you get reimbursed. Not 100% probably, but you know that's it. Now they're all, he's now running vision rehabilitation services, employing certified vision rehabilitation therapists and um, orientation mobility specialists and assistive technology specialists. And as everybody knows, you, you don't bill for those services. So what does he have to do instead? And this is the typical uh, life of a, of a nonprofit executive in our field. He has to write eight different proposals to different United Ways. He has to uh, uh -huh. submit half a dozen grant proposals. He has to run God knows how many fundraising campaigns. This is craziness. Why, you know, why do we make, it is just so hard. We've got to get past this and increase public funding, reimbursement of devices that people need to live. Why do we need to fight for this? Why do we, you know, have to come up with these creative fundraising solutions for this? So I, my heart is in trying to tackle that. How do we provide more and better services, especially to people over the age of 60, because it's just a huge population and it's virtually invisible to the greater society. I would ask, and, and I ask because I think I know the answer already, but it would trickle down to the other side of that coin, which is, you know, from the con consumer perspective that many areas in our country don't do as well as they could or should. And it's much of a cookie cutter approach both um you know early life and aging you know and uh, those of us that that experience it suddenly midlife there's a cookie cutter approach there's one way to do it for young there's one way to do it for those that are aging into and there's one way to do it for those that experiencing it suddenly that approach doesn't necessarily work very well um especially in in more rural and areas where the funding and and access to things are not as, as great as they are in metropolitan areas. I would imagine that, you know, coming from the top end, it would also trickle down and the grassroots maybe would meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, if you're talking about program design and the delivery of services, well, 2020 uh, blew all of us out of the water. The, the traditional ways of providing vision rehabilitation services and vision specific educational services to students didn't work. And um, we, we had as a field and individual professionals, chief executives, leadership teams everywhere, they had to face the fact that either they figured out how to pivot, innovate and provide services remotely or people were not gonna get any services even less than before. 
you know, what they say, um, necessity is the mother of intervention. So it, I think, pushed us in a very good way where I, I look at the explosion of communications and community conversations that occurred at, at ACB alone. It did push us in very good ways. Uh, we're still figuring it out. Um, we're blazing new trails. We, we don't have best practices yet, but we do have promising practices. And I, for one, am pleased about it and hope that we're, we're going to continue to build on that and find better solutions so that, you know, we, we think at best we serve 5% of Americans who could use these services. That's horrible. Yeah. You know, Anthony, you were talking about uh, the importance of intersectionality and all that, and it, that is all true. And I think sometimes we have almost the reverse challenge uh, in the aging and vision loss space. Let me say what I mean about that. So, I, you know, I think, you know, look, for, for those of us who have been blind all of our lives, for sure, we embrace blindness and vision impairment. I dare say even being proud of it more often than not. Uh, Lee, I, you uh, you may be misty when you talked about, you know, thanks to Joe, you're leading a life you never thought you'd live. Um, I can believe that. And I, I can just, you know, when, uh, when when times are tough, sometimes it's good to be able to remember, you know, um, thanks to this uh, immutable characteristic called blindness, I have gotten to meet people and be shaped by them in ways that yeah. God knows where I would have been. Yeah. Uh, who knows what a little spoiled brat, uh, European white boy, uh, would, would would have would have how he would have turned out uh, without the tempering effects of uh, seeing what uh, other people go through and uh, having that experience. But in any case, um, so my point being, the vast majority of the people that we need to reach with the services and the, all of that that Lee was talking about are people who I'm not even going to say for better or worse because frankly it's not their fault who are likely certainly not now and may not ever identify themselves as capital B blind. Yeah. Yeah. And and, yeah. and we spend a heck of a lot of time sometimes, you know, preaching uh, to people about if you would just embrace your blindness. And I, I think we can get the substance of what the kernel of what we mean by that through without clobbering people over the head with the B word. And, and so again, not being embarrassed by it, but knowing that you've got to reach people where they are. And that's a literal as well as a figurative challenge that we have. Yeah. So, yes, we've got a little program called the old, well, longer name, but the Older Blind Program, essentially. State level, you know, federally funded, state federal partnership, about $34 million, I think it is. I mean, any one of us would love to have $34 million in the bank. But for $34 million for this country, for that size population, is just simply, it's unconscionably low. Yeah, the idea that we're going to expect blind people or people experiencing vision loss who don't think of themselves as blind, don't know who even where the state agency is or if there something exists called a state agency is crazy. That's the one door we're expecting people to enter through. That's the only place where we have a dedicated program to meet the needs of older folk living with vision loss. And it's just I'm not even sort of being critical of the program. Thank God for the program. Yeah. What we need are our other ways in which we connect with a population who may never see themselves as, quote-unquote, us. And and that's a real challenge. We also need to take that same message, by the way, and this is, this has been one of my little high horses. Uh, it, you know, it, when we talk to Congress to make it clear that we aren't there talking about, you know, we need more money for another disability-specific program. 
Yes, people who experience vision loss, of course, they have functional limitations. Yes, they have disabilities. Absolutely. But the way you market that or talk about it should be unique to this sizable, you know, 12 million plus population of people who are older living with vision loss. That's not a capital D disability context. That is a multifaceted, psychosocial, uh-huh. complicated yes. thing that is its own issue. And I think that takes, frankly, some courage on on our part as people who have blindness in the name of our organization, not only in our in our in our own lives, to say we need to think and talk and advocate differently for this population uh, in order to be effective champions for them. I, you know, I, I'm a question I didn't plan on asking, but the conversation is leading us in this direction. Do you think what the world has learned based upon what we just went, what we are in the middle of going through really with COVID, the isolation, the the loss of so much of our daily lives, do you think that we, you know, we as the blindness community and whole, but also, you know, more specifically targeted to those that are aging into it, you know, should we leverage what the world has gone through as a, um, you know, as similar to what we, what we face every day? I've said this to people that, there's no such thing as a silver lining to COVID-19. I mean, it is, it is, it's devastating, heartbreaking. I mean, so there's no such thing as, gee, well, we, since we had to put up with this, at least we got that. Um, I think that would be an obscene way of talking about it. I will say that as part of the, you know, as things have shaken out, I have heard many blind people talk about how, uh, you know what, um, quite frankly, uh, my life might not have, you know, has changed in, in ways that are certainly positive for me. Don't have to worry about those nasty transportation problems, uh, getting in and out of meetings without tripping over stuff or worrying about tripping over stuff uh, <laughs> yeah. is out is out the window. Uh, we are all I get to use my own bathroom. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, just very practical things like that, where you say in a, in its own way, because of what we're all living through, it's been leveling in a certain sense. But the poignant uh, side of that perspective is, yeah, it's leveling. Now we're all isolated. I've, I've been living through, you know, even with transportation, I have to, you know, it's paratransit. I have to use a separate system from, you know, how everybody else gets into work or, you know, my, my technology is not always working right. Everyone else seems like they're doing fine and I'm kind of struggling with these accessibility challenges. And yet, so so it, it's almost like yeah. So we as blind people may, in, in a certain way, have uh, seen some daily life kinds of experiences that have been better for us in some ways. But it's also reflective of those dynamics of you're stuck at home like everybody else. What is being stuck at home like? Maybe it is in its own way eye-opening for those of us who don't pay as much attention to folks who are blind or visually impaired living in rural areas or folks who are older. Uh, who live with this kind of, you know, isolation and and such all the time. We finally gotten a little taste of it. Yeah. I mean, Lee, what do you think? I don't know. I was thinking that I don't think the general population has has learned much or applied it certainly to the blindness community. And and, and I know that's not exactly what you were asking, Anthony, but I'm I was struck by even more ways that what we have to offer as a society through this pandemic are not accessible. All the ways to sign up for vaccines, what I've heard, they're not accessible. Yes. 
Um, yes. Uh, you know, the, the messages about social distancing, if you go someplace, they're just printed signs. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we've got a, a long way to go. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, like meeting via phone and radio and those kinds of things, I think are more prevalent. And that's certainly accessible. And uh, there have been examples of inaccessibility too, of course, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still still thinking about it. I guess I, there was one thing I wanted to say back to your original question about core values, Anthony, if I might, in relation to what we just talked about with the, with the 60 years and older population of people living with low vision and blindness, um, collaboration is the key, I believe, to making a difference in this beyond our field, we have to collaborate with the aging network, with allied health, with the medical profession. And our field has not always been anxious to do that. We kind of like to try to do it ourselves. I just don't think that dog hunts. We, we have got to bridge relationships, understanding of aging and vision loss with these other networks to make any kind of real difference. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we we as a society hear often about those that are in assisted living facilities and, and those that are in nursing homes, et cetera, et cetera, and the plight, the various challenges, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I think we, not to call it a silver lining, but one, you know, thread, one silver thread that we can pull from, from this is that it has been leveled. It, it has leveled the playing field. It's given the world at large a taste of what of what it, it can be like when you yeah. don't have the proper when you don't have the proper tools or you don't well, have the proper true. support yeah. system, et cetera. And I and I think that our community has been afraid to leverage things like that, to use pieces, stories like that to to move forward. You know, there's that stereotype of the angry blind person and, and nobody wants to be the angry blind person. In in a way, I think it's also nobody wants to be you know, the poor, sad, blind person. And unfortunately, there's too many of us that are poor and sad because we don't have, we don't have the support system that could be. And, and I think we've got the greatest, you know, the greatest leveler right now with, with COVID to, to maximize the stories behind the services, behind, you know, the asks for that, that we're probably going to have in our generation. I will ask them, um, to switch to one more topic before we, we talk about vision service specifically, the ADA, it's been 30 years. Have we maximized the potential? Do we need to, you know, kind of rip it apart and start all over? Or can we move forward under the framework that we have now? I'll, um, I'll ask Mark to go first. <laughs> the, 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 the short answer, and God agrees with me, is no. Uh, 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 no, we don't need to rip it apart and start all over. Are there areas that are deficient that need some attention? Sure. There are ways to do that without having, you know, fundamental rewrites of entire, entire titles of the American, of the ADA. Uh, would I, if I could wave a magic wand, write things differently if we were back in 1990? Sure. And then you might say, well, if you would write things differently, then why are you being so flippant in saying that you know you and God agree that <laughs> there's no way we should do this? And the answer is, for now I'm kind of coming full circle with my comments, which is to say, even right uh, to be a little partisan for the second, 
even in this environment where Democrats are controlling both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, that mere fact means nothing uh, about what opening up the Americans with Disabilities Act to change could possibly mean in terms of, you know, for every positive thing we might somehow manage to squeeze in, you might have to swallow two or three particularly bitter pills. And I don't yeah. think we want to be going down that road. So, but that does not mean, of course, that advocacy stops there. You know, uh, we've all been talking about strategies with working with this new Department of Justice to maybe get some relatively, you know, quantity-wise small, but nevertheless significant changes, augmentations to the existing regulations where website accessibility is concerned. You know, sure, count me in with that. I mean, that's but that that's the sort of refinement that should happen over the course of time and can naturally work fairly well if you have a cooperative government agency to work with. I think a lot of us were pretty spooked during the Trump years about, again, not making a partisan comment about Mr. Trump or what went on at that Justice Department, but simply the unpredictability of what would happen. And in the policy game, uh, you don't screw around with unpredictability. The more unpredictable it is, yeah. the more conservative with a small C you have to be. Uh, so anyway, that's my short answer. Lee, any thoughts? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't have as many thoughts about ADA as I do about the Older Americans Act. Um, I am more concerned uh, about that act because there is almost no mention of a vision and uh, yeah. vision loss as, as a part of anything in there. And it, it's just craziness to me. So really hoping that we can Get, we, we attempted to with um, some work last year and it, it, it didn't quite go anywhere, but I, I'd like to see that. I, so many people, knowledgeable, respected people, leaders in the aging network with whom I've spoken this year about aging and vision loss are just flabbergasted to hear how many people are living with this and what it means and, and how can you spend your whole life in aging and not know that but but that's a fact and we need to change it yeah what i love about sunday edition is you know we have a strong showing for the acb community of course and and i am broadcast over acb radio um but we have we have across the community we have we have members we have listeners that may not necessarily be acb members at the moment and i continuously invite them into the fold into the family we want you we we need you please join but um you know we, we reach a larger audience. So what can, you know, what can we do to support Vision Serve Alliance as individuals? So many of, of ACB's members and listeners work for an organization related to the, the blind biz. And if your organization is not a member of Vision Serve Alliance, I would urge you to speak to your leadership about looking into that and considering that um, we do offer tangible benefits to our members, but when I talk to potential prospects, prospects for members, I I'm asking them to consider a little bit of more along the lines of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So I see this as, I don't want to say an obligation, I won't go that far, but you know, a responsibility to the field to invest in this national collaboration so that we can address these very serious issues that have plagued us for decades. 
uh, we're talking about the same things that we were talking about when I got involved in this. And we've not moved the needle very far. I, that, but that doesn't mean I am not a pessimist about it. I do believe we can change this. I consider myself a change agent and I work with change agents every day. But I believe the key to making that difference is focus. Aren't there a few things we can get on the same page about and move forward? So being a part of this leadership collective and, and then not just joining, but being engaged, participating in the many online events that we have. We do also offer individual memberships. So uh, those of you who may be retired or individual practitioners and would like to be a part of this community, you're, you're welcome to do that too. And then we have, finally, we, we do have um, a conference that is open to everyone. Um, we just switched it up. It used to be in the fall. Now it's gonna be in the spring. This spring conference, April 27th through the 29th will be virtual. So um, accessible to all. And we just moved to an, a nice new digital platform that we had an accessibility committee help us choose to make sure that everybody could use it nicely. What are some of the highlights to look for, that we can look forward to from the convention, the conference, excuse me? We're still nailing down all our speakers, but uh, we will have three fabulous keynote speakers and then um, nine focused sessions. Um, frequently our sessions are provided by many of our members. And in fact, any listeners, if you've got a session you'd like to consider conducting for us during this conference, contact me right away. We're making those decisions by the end of next week, who, who will make the program and who won't. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is still a big topic for us. And I'm, I'm here to say there will be at least one, if not two sessions about that every conference we have for the next several years, because we got lots of work to do there <laughs> in our field. And uh, accessibility is a very big topic. Um, we will be talking about that. And then what does excellence and leadership look like? Have a few great speakers about that. And that's at the governance, you know, board level, leadership team level, professional level. You know, there's a lot more talk now, um, understanding of accountability and ethics. We will be talking about that as well. Mark? Talk to us a little bit about what um, what imperatives you're looking forward to, both for leadership coming uh, leadership week coming up and Vision Serve Alliance, and um, possibly tease a little bit about our virtual convention this summer. I also feel obligated to mention that AER uh, has its conference, major conference, every other year on the even numbered years. Um, it was heartbreaking as it was for so many organizations, including ACB, to you know, have to say goodbye to an in-person show. We did not opt uh, to uh, do what ACB did, uh, which was to actually hold a full-blown, you know, uh, large conference virtually. And I think, I, I mean, I, I would say this even if I were not an officer in ACB. Yeah. I mean, the American Council of the Blind gets five gold stars, uh, hip hip hoorays and everything else you want to give it uh, for pulling off what was an unqualified success. I think, I mean, an historically significant show. And I mean, it's just tremendous. 
Uh, I think <clears throat> one of the reasons why that AER chose not to do something like that, quite frankly, and this is this is a compliment to ACB, uh, is you know AER doesn't have an infrastructure in place like an ACB radio and the years of experience uh, and talent that ACB has to be able to you know, organize that kind of a thing. I mean, any anybody these days can put put a you know Zoom meeting together, but good grief uh, to be able to do it thoroughly and do it well. And for you know days and days straight is really quite an accomplishment. So we've got a little bit of time until 2022 to figure out what in the world we're going to do. I'm sure our in-person conference will be kind of a hybrid uh, model of some type. And all of the stuff that I've been reading and giving myself sort of a crash course on in terms of the meetings and planet, you know, meetings and conventions world and those people, they're all saying that uh, when we get to a point where we're doing more in-person meetings don't expect to be doing them where you've got you know day after day hour after hour people sitting in rows in cold stuffy right. hotel nice. rooms yeah that that's that's yeah. that's, out, that's old news i mean you may still do some of that but if you're not having more experiential kinds of events uh you know in more interactive kinds of things to give someone a reason to actually come and be there uh you're missing out so anyways we, that's you know, you mentioned priorities. I mean, for AER, for sure, thinking through what that means and how best to engage individual professional members. Uh, that engagement thrust of ours is what has driven us to launch just this month. Uh, AERelearning.org. You know, uh, uh, lots of organizations have been putting up, you know, virtual content uh, during these COVID days. Uh, but what we didn't have is a structure that would allow us to uh, create a, a member benefit. So when you show up there and sign up for, you know, quality uh, sessions, members get a discount for doing that. But we had to work on a lot of infrastructure too to make sure that that site of ours can connect up with our membership database and all kinds of nerdy stuff like that. Lots of headaches that uh, uh, we had to live through to get to this point, but we're pretty excited about it. But it's that kind of engagement and uh, how we can best connect more with members in the field generally. That's sort of our big priority. You know, it's true that AER cares a lot about all kinds of uh, advocacy and policy concerns. I think because of our membership, the, you know, the, uh, certainly a majority of our members being from the education space, whether they are teachers of visually impaired kiddos uh, or orientation mobility instructors who are working with uh, children and youth, it's clear that special education uh, is far and away the, you know, the, the, the issue that tends to get folks uh, most excited within AER. It's not that they don't care about the other issues at all. It's just simply a fact of who who our membership is and what uh, and what their daily sort of working yeah, on. the bus goes. Yeah. Yeah. So in any case, so when you say about looking forward to the leadership, ACB's work coming up, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to being part of the education discussion there, but both Lee and I are going to be participating in the aging and vision loss topics. So I'm excited to see that work move forward. And uh, yeah, I think I think that basically covers it. All right. So let's tell the folks um, the websites. Uh, if you if you want to give out an email address for contact, um, let's let's tell the folks where to where to go. Lee? Okay. Shall I go first? Yep. Um, so our website is www.visionservealliance.org, all one word. And my email address, should anyone want to contact me, is my first name, which is spelled L-E-E, -E, and the first initial of my last name. So L-E-E-N, or lean, like lean forward, at visionservealliance.org. Mark? 
AE and and um, anything else you want to throw out there for people to go in and investigate? So we, uh, you know, if you want to just head straight for AER, you can go to aerbvi.org. If you want to reach out to yours truly, which I'd be happy to hear from you, uh, it's we keep it nice and simple. Uh, it's Mark at aerbvi.org. M-A-R-K at aerbvi.org. And uh, and I do think that ACB listeners, uh, whether they happen to be professionals in the blindness biz or not, uh, might be interested in uh, taking a peek at what we believe to be a pretty accessible uh, continuing education platform uh, by going to aerelearning.org. That's all one word, no dashes, you know, like four-leaf clovers, whatever. It's just aerelearning.org. <laughs> and and by the way, if you do. Uh, encounter accessibility stuff. Uh, we, we accept criticism as well as effusive compliments. So <laughs> we, 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 uh, yeah. So, so, you know, bring them on because uh, we need to address them. Really appreciate your checking it out. Well, as I thank you both for coming on to Sunday edition, um, I offer you an open platform to come back and talk about um, the conference or any other initiatives that you put forward. Over the next few months or years, you're more than welcome to come back to Sunday Edition. Another happy birthday to Joe and a belated congratulations, Mark. Uh, I know it's been a little over 40 days now that you're in your role, but from all yep. of us at ACB, congratulations and thanks for being a great first vice president. Appreciate it so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Sunday Edition will be right back. Nearer. Then my head is to my pillow Nearer Then the wind is to the willow well, Tune in for a Valentine's Day special with music performed by Jason Castingway Sunday night, 8 p.m., ACB Radio Cafe Donate $25 or more and receive the MP3 by visiting tinyurl.com slash ACB Radio. Sunday evening, ACB Radio Cafe, 8 p.m. Anytime you say that you want me back again, that's the time I'm coming home to you. Welcome back to Sunday Edition. Those were the velvety smooth tones of Mr. Jason Castingway, along with uh, his expertise on the ivories. I know that I am looking forward to hearing Jason this evening. And I do believe that if you hit that, um, if you hit that link up and you donate, you can also get a special Valentine's Day message sent out to a loved one, a friend, partner, spouse um memory <laughs> so hit that up and uh and donate the proceeds will go to acb radio and all of the great programming that we have here byron looking forward to it right oh absolutely it's gonna be cool um uh also i'm gonna be working on my <clears throat> i do a comedy music show every week and i'm gonna be the working on zone. that tonight yeah <laughs> so tonight's special episode is all about love all about oh, yeah, love. What's Valentine's Day special? All the comedy about love. <laughs> Either loving it or maybe not so much loving it. 
What is the funniest Weird Al love song? Oh my god. Okay. Well, um I I would say um <laughs> there's a great one by Weird Al called Close But No Cigar and he's talking about all these women that he's had in his life that were almost perfect. Um, but not quite, you know, close, but no cigar. And he said, you know, uh, she owned Joe Dirt on DVD. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> awesome. The fun zone is tonight, I believe, 7 p.m. Eastern time, right? Yep. 7 o'clock Eastern. Uh, sorry, six, 8 o'clock Eastern. Yep. 8 o'clock Eastern, byronlee.com. Yep. All right. So um, as loyal listeners know, I have started a series of conversations surrounding the tech that we know and love or may not know and will soon love. And on the on that premise, I am very excited to welcome to the show Renee Espinoza of Lazarillo. And we'll get into talking about Lazarillo in a few minutes. But let me first welcome Renee to the program. Hey, Renee. Hey, hello. How are you? Can you hear me well? I can, I can. Byron, he's coming through good, right? Yep, loud and clear. Perfect. Well, Hello, Anthony Byron. <laughs> <laughs> Renee, you've done more in 30 years than some people, some of us do in a lifetime. Um, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, well, as you say, I'm 30 years old. Um, I'm an electrical engineering. Um, I'm actually from Chile. Um, uh, well, I'm passionate about technology, but uh, also since really early age, um, like 13 years old, I decided to dedicate my life on um, trying to develop technology on to help uh, health or well-being. Uh, so really early age, I, I decided that, and, and that uh, made me study electrical engineering, but at the same time working with um, physicians uh, and doctors in different projects before. And that then led me out to <laughs> develop Lazarillo as a thesis. And then now a project that is working. <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. I know currently you're in the Tampa area. How long have you mm. been in the States and where else, what, you know, what other parts of the country have you seen? Uh, well, I've seen a lot of uh, <laughs> locations. Um, I've been in San Francisco, New York, Indianapolis, um, in different events, right? Um, I actually went to the e-enabling um, conference that was, well, before COVID, right? Uh, in Washington, D.C. Um, and yeah, I've been in Tampa, like, uh, so going and coming back and forth from different trips, like around a year and a half, something like that. Yeah. Nice. And um, you've also you've also been distinguished with a couple of prestigious awards. Tell us about how your work has been recognized. Sure, sure. Um, so, um, well, we have uh, different awards, but uh, like one of the main ones is by the Zero Project Foundation um, conference. That is, uh, well, to this year was made online, but uh, <laughs> in 2018 it was on the United Nations buildings in Vienna. Um, so that was one of our first big uh, accomplishment, I would say. Uh, also, the MIT um, awarded uh, me like at the beginning of last year, just before, like an, some weeks before, some big, some, some weeks before COVID. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like uh, it was uh, a great award and like a huge network. Um, and also, like there's like a Young Leaders of America initiative called Wildlife that is sponsored by the U.S. Department of State. And they also um, 
have supported me a lot and they yeah like uh, connect me with uh, huge mentors yeah mm-hmm. so I, if you don't mind sharing with with our listeners what is your vision status yeah so um currently i see i see fine um but my one of my team members is uh is blind and in a way the story comes from from that like uh um, while I was studying, I was also working for a medical institution, um, but I was not. But I was doing like assistive technologies, like low cost assistive technologies projects. So I worked in different things, and then um, it was a project that uh, involves like developing a mobile app for uh, people that were blind or have low vision. And so, on that time, I didn't knew so much about that. Um, but then I took a around with 30 people uh, with different uh, vision loss. Um, And then I get to know Miguel. He's part of the team. He's actually, on that time, he was teaching assistive technologies. We were doing that like around 10 years. Um, And so, yeah, we get along really well. Um, And then, uh, well, he's blind. Um, And so I was getting into my thesis project of the university. Uh, and so I decided if like, um, instead of like developing something for, uh, a professor, you know, like I could do my own theme and like, uh, I asked Miguel for help and he helped me out developing the prototypes. Uh, he, he also studied like computer engineering. Uh, so he was really deep into, um, developing something that could work. And so we both uh, iterate and then we try it out with more people. And then this was just a prototype, but the last test of the prototype, we tried it out in a shopping center with seven people that they had never been there. And they, they were able to find a store that we mark and like uh, get in and from different points and they were really excited. So yeah, uh, after a year from my thesis, I decided to start Lazarillo. And yeah, I asked Miguel if he can join me as well as other team members, but yeah. So from a thesis project and, and a respect and, and um, honoring the assistive technology space, an app was born, um, you know, so that would be the birthing and, and the early childhood. I would say, you know, from my perspective, you're in the, the teen, young adult, um, you know, stage of, of app development. Things are constantly being updated on Lazarillo and um, mm-hmm. you know, the growth is tremendous. So tell us, you know, tell us the structure of Lazarillo. What, what is it? How does it work? And how did it go from a thesis to being sold on, or I'm sorry, offered on platforms yeah. like Google play and, uh, and, and iOS? Sure. Sure. Um, well, uh, the, the, the road is not like straightforward, right? Um, <laughs> it's a long and winding uh, road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it's like more like uh, getting up a hill and getting down and like up and down. Like now it has been quite uh, like I, I would say like a difficult path. But um, to give you maybe an overview is that we we started first with a grant from the government. Uh, so it's like an entrepreneurial grant that we get. Uh, was like a small grant uh, that we started with actually uh, it was like $12,000. And with that, we tried to hire developers. Like at that time where like, I, I was just getting out of the university. So I had like a couple of friends. I also code. So um, we were um, recruiting people that uh, believe in the mission. 
Um, and so we didn't have like enough money actually to develop what we wanted on that time, like two mobile apps, one for Android and iOS, both free uh, for the user. Um, and then the first uh, sort of um, approach that we, and that has been like kind of similar, but changing a little bit is that the app will be free for the user to use as much as they want. Um, that is also now. And then we will find a way to um, connect companies and institutions that want to make their services more accessible or their spaces more accessible. Um, and they will pay for that, right? Uh, and that is actually how it works. Um, but uh, let's say the first year was the toughest one because uh, even though I had did my thesis that I, all the code that I did there, like I throw it away and start again with the team to make something that could work globally and efficient, efficient for the user. Um, and so the first year was quite tough in a way that um, until we, la we launched the beta, uh, we didn't know that with what we were doing was going to scale. But then when we launched and we got users from different parts of the world getting feedback, and like at the end of that, the first year, we realized that, um, yeah, what we were creating was something useful, but then we need to figure out how we can sustain this to grow it. Mm -hmm. And now if, you, if we jump from the first year to now, uh, I think we have found a way, like we have encountered different difficulties from COVID, right, last year, but before that we also had some difficulties. Um, and now we have companies that pay subscriptions to be in the app from universities, that pays to have their campuses map for their students, uh, to banks that a user use this as a platform to understand their clients, um, like consumer banks, right? And, and yeah, look, now retail stores and retail services um, are, are being in the app. Um, this works in a way that if you are in the country, you will get uh, these offers, uh, like in the marketplace and then that's why we are, uh, with the help of like an accelerator in the US called Tampa Bay Way, we are getting contact with a lot of institutions in the United States to replicate what we're doing in other countries. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I love about Lazarolo is it's it's extremely user-friendly, it's extremely user-interactive, and, and you can teach it. it you, know, you can customize it for, for what, your, what your specific needs are. Um, in you know in the space of college campuses and retail spaces and and those those type of areas the users out there our listeners who who most a lot of them are users how can we encourage spaces to become part of the Lazarillo universe and if there is a retail space or or a college campus that is interested well, can we talk to you can we send you an email how do we do it how do we get the, how do we get it all the ball rolling Sure, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we have the, the website that is called lazarillo.app. Um, you can also find it in settings um, on your app. And then the, there's a user section and then there's a business section. So any business can go into the business section and then they can get in contact with us. Uh, we actually are, um, we answer really fast. Uh, we are also not only like answering back, but also uh, trying to find um, institutions that are that, that want to move forward on accessibility um, and also cities. So yeah, like uh, that, if you can reference us, that's much better because um, one thing that yeah, 
could be like a barrier sometimes is that um, they might not know if this is something useful for their students, if the students will, will use it or not. But then if a student asks for this, it's quite different. Like the, the conversation is like, hey, how we can make it uh, work. And then we have different ways, different layers of functionalities. Like the first layer, for example, in a university is to have the outdoor campus map. That means that if you're looking for a classroom, you will find it, you can find it through um, a category or by text. And then that classroom can be within a building, right? And then you can do a route to the different entrance of the build of that building. That is like the first layer. And then you can add other layers like indoor wayfinding in different buildings um, yep. until you reach the, <laughs> the door, right? Uh, yeah. So mm -hmm, that's how it works. So walk us through, you know, we, we hit install, you know, we, we wait for the little bar to do its thing. Um, and then we open the app. Walk us through using it and, and some of your, sure. your favorite features. Sure, sure. Um, so first the app, um, so if you are using a screen reader, um, um, we're not like, let's say, on the, if you do the first swipe to the right after you, um, you accept all the permissions that we ask. We ask uh, some permissions on location uh, just to get your as accurate as possible. Also, uh, we encourage you to activate your Wi-Fi, not to use that the data of your Wi-Fi, but to use um, that as another way to improve location. And then um, you have uh, on the top of the of the app, um, there's the play and stop button. That is for a, a stop the exploration and start the exploration. Um, so that is like the first swipe you do to the right uh, if you're using a screen reader. And then that allows you to, so the exploration how it works is that it will provide audible information of your surroundings as you move. Um, and then you can customize that if, um, if you go to the filtering of categories. So that is actually after the, the, the button of start stop exploration, you have another button that is where I am, if you want to know um, that in any time, even though the app will tell you that as you move uh, from time to time. Uh, then you have the search button that you can type or talk about a destination. And then is the filtering of categories. And then th there you can filter out how the exploration works. So you have, we have two modes, if you're walking or if you're in a car. So if you're walking, uh, you can filter out the categories for, that you would like to get announced while you're walking. And then the car mode, uh, we actually detect when you're in a car. So then it activates the car mode and then uh, you, can fill, you can set the categories you want when you're in a car or in a, for example, um, uh, bus, right? Um, so that's uh, like the first top view, and then on the on the first that is the section of exploration. Um, you find you, you can find also categories where you can find from transport location, food location, stores, and more. Uh, there's also one category called accessible locations that um, we will post there all the locations that are from um, the country or sometimes the city, depending of the reach they want to have institutions. And then the other sections on the bottom are favorites, news, and settings. So favorites allows you to every location you open to add it to your favorites, or you can also create favorites. So for example, you want to add your home, um, and then you want to add it with more precision. 
you can add it with a GPS location. So you stand outside your home and you use that button that is to add with a GPS location. Uh, so you go to favorites on the top right, there's like add location and you can add it with a address or with a GPS location. Uh, and you can then edit the name, right? And so that you can put like, is your home and things like that. And then the section boot, uh, the section part is to get news uh, where um, they were collaborating with some institution that they can use this to announce different channels for communications, right? Um, so they can promote, uh, if a university joins, they can promote their indie app and also uh, maybe scholarships and things like that. Um, and so this new section is to promote um, like uh, from, from institutions they have joined, uh, any sort of from events to a new, to a new service or product. Uh, and yeah, like, and then you go to settings and you can customize your, your experience. We have different settings, but maybe I can get into that later. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Byron, as we, as we talk, if, if anybody has their hand raised uh, for questions, let us know. What, uh, what mm -hmm. sets Lazarillo apart from, from the other apps that are out there? And, and uh, I know a lot of people use app or have used apps like Nearby Explorer or um, Foursquare. What, what, says, what sets Lazarillo apart from the other apps? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well, from the very beginning, it's free. Um, it's multi-platform. So um, that means it works in Android and iOS. And everything and you can save your favorites as much as you want and it will be cross-platform so if you set you save something for your account it will be you can then use another phone and, and get into that um i would say that also um you can do other things inside the app that some other apps doesn't have like um so first is like the routing option like working routing you you can use the same like lazarillo um itself without opening another app um with walking routes. Um, and so that allows that exploration while you get directions is more um, effective. So the, the messages doesn't interrupt themselves. Um, also, uh, I would say like, uh, and what is my, like I, I would say that the biggest differentiation is like the ability we have to make uh, institutions more accessible. Um, so we have been talking about like a university campus, but we also have has ability to work with hospitals. And then when we join a hospital, you can do a booking on like um, to get an appointment uh, through the app. And then um, like uh, after you do the appointment, if you need to go, you can get the directions also inside the hospital. So um, I think it's a different approach. Um, our approach is not to charge the end user, um, is to hopefully provide more opportunities and, and access to the end user. So a question that I got from email uh, after I posted that we were doing this show today, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have a reader <laughs> available to me at the moment, um, but basically uh, the person is asking that on a college campus or a um, an office building, a lot of the apps fail once you get you know to the location itself. Mm -hmm. uh, especially let's let's say a college campus. If you're trying to find a specific class, what's the accuracy if you program for yourself um, finding a specific classroom or finding that you know that mom and pop burger joint that you love going to after class? 
um, what I, what's the accuracy level to like a feet wise and how easy is it to, to set routes that you can use over and over again for specific classes or office spaces or, or, you know, your favorite sure. mom and pop burger joint. Sure. So, uh, well, depends if like that university has joined, uh, we make it as accurate as possible. That means that the entrance of the burger joint, right. Uh, will be precise, uh, and so um, that means that um, some foots away, I mean, the it will it will only involve the precision of your GPS, but then we can also enhance that. And so we make it from um, around four foots uh, of accuracy, uh, five foots accuracy, depending on the on the location. But uh, that is when the university joins of the or or the institution joins us. Uh, so that's why we we, we encourage that um, you can ask for this because um, and we are even though we're doing ways to encourage institutions to join and also make it more simple, um, it's always good to ask for this. Um, and then if not, right, if they, they have not been added uh, to the map, like um, uh, like by our system then uh, I would not be so sure about like all the precision. Like we, we use different data sources to connect from uh, open source data, data sources, but also uh, once data sources that we pay for, for it to work. So um, I would not be able to say like with uh, full precision, like the accuracy, but we try to uh, get the connection from the community in order to understand like if this data source is working or not. Like if you, if we get a message from someone saying like, hey, Las Rilo doesn't have so many stores in my location or, or the map is not so accurate, then we check in that city which map we're using and then we try some other uh, sources. So that means that, for example, we could be using Google Maps, but then Google Maps on that zone is not so useful, that doesn't have so many information uh, than maybe other, other data sources. And so we we will be able actually to um, select um, another for that specific city another data source that works better. So yeah, um, that's why uh, we we have this platform to make it more precise. Um, and so yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> um, but you can mark as as much points as you want, and if you want to ha to have more precision. I will I will encourage you to use the add location by GPS. So if you have you're in a university, um, you can just um, set out set just out on the entrance that you want to mark, and then you can then name it name those locations, and you can track them. There's a functionality called tracking that you can get like um, audible um, information about the relative distance of where you are and where is this location, and so that would be useful in case that campus, we don't have the roots, right, by default. Um, and so you can use that too. Mm -hmm. So I, there was another interesting question, which I didn't get the chance to explore yet, but I definitely want to, if you give me a good answer today. Um, mm -hmm. is, there, is there a way to share your location with another visually impaired friend and even better, um, share a route um, with another person who is visually impaired, mm. so you can link up and, and match with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. We actually are, uh, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, so currently you can share a location. Um, like, uh, 
So you can say where you are, and then you can share that location as a link. So any location that you that Lazarus announced, you can share it. So um, you can press, for example, the where I am button, and then it will get your location. Then you go to recently announced, or you tap that location, and then you can share it. So you, there's a share button that is on the top right, uh, and that is a link that someone else would be able to open up and then do a route. But then if you also want to like real-time train your location, um, like um, we are actually have, we have been asked on that a new feature and we have it in our pipeline to launch it hopefully um, you know, one or two months more or something like that, uh, if I'm correct. Um, but that is the real time sharing location, right? Uh, but you can share your location with what I just said. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I love, you know, about a lot of the apps, um, Lazarillo being one of them, that it it's growing rapidly. And, you know, what, what I experienced two or three months ago, it may not be the, um, you, you know, it's been highlighted, it's been overhauled, it's better. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's consistently becoming more accurate, becoming easier to use. Um, on, on that same note, another question that had come in was, are you exploring any partnerships with visual interpreting services or ways to reach out if you are within root or within using the app and, and you encounter something that you can't necessarily figure out for yourself? You mean like, um, like- a It could be like my eyes maybe. Mm. Well, actually, uh, there are some companies that are working on um, providing visually interpretation, right? Um, and we're really open to do collaborations. Um, we were asked about something like this at the, at the beginning of last year um, from a, a specific company uh, that for now I cannot say because it was not launched. Um, due to COVID actually, <laughs> like uh, make us all our plans change. Uh, but it was something like you're mentioning, like having a way that as you are moving through the app and then there's another company that can provide visual interpretation. Uh, they were looking to join uh, in, some, in a specific country. Um, and then the ability to yeah, get additional help um, yeah, I mean, we're really open if there's any company out there like looking to do something like that, we would love to do it. Uh, that project was delayed due to COVID because yeah, both uh, like our plans changed like on our side and also the other company's plans, um, you know, they're to keep alive and, uh, and not only keep alive, but be able to provide more value. So that's why we actually developed the new section um, that is used that is being used by some governments in some countries to send information on COVID and resources um, like um, money grants and things like that. Um, Though user base, yeah. For example, I want to check in with Byron for a moment. Do we have anybody that um, has their hand raised for questions or comments? I don't see any hands raised, but I do have a question myself. Um, you know, a lot of sure. times. I would use something like Blind Square um, or Soundscapes or you know, many um, other GPS apps in conjunction with something like Google Maps or Apple Maps. Uh, does does this app um, need a secondary app, um, or does it have all of the you know features that the regular map app would have, so that I can just mm -hmm. stay within one app? 
Yeah, well, for walking routes, you can use only Lazarillo. Uh, so it will have directions inside the app. Uh, so I think that's what you mean. Uh, so you can check, yeah. you can do a route for your favorites and like check the um, check a list of instructions, but also get the real time um, directions. And, and actually in that same view, um, you actually can control the exploration in the bottom. There's like a, additional buttons that you can start or stop the exploration um, or actually change the filters of categories. So you are doing the route. You can set all that up within that same view and then it will work much better, right? Because um, we can control the messages. Uh, you can also, you also have the option to open another app, um, but we encourage you to use Lazarillo uh, for working. Um, for um, trans bus trans for, for public transportation, uh, currently we, we do kind of the same. We open another app for now. Um, I was just about to ask about public months. transit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in a few months, it will be like fully integrated to the same as the walking uh, direction. So, yeah, um, that was supposed to be last year. But as I said, I, like COVID changed our plans a little bit. <laughs> uh, but it's something that we we hope that we, it will be available before the middle of this year. Um, so in a few more, more months. Um, and then for going by car, you... Yeah, that of that opens up another app. Um, for now, we don't have plans for that, uh, as it works good with ways, for example, things like that. And then you can also call a call, uh, like quote an Uber, so you can tap the Uber tap the Uber button, and then you can have the different options from of Uber rides from where you are to your destination, and then you can check all the options and you select the one you want, and it will open up. Uh, Uber all set up with your location, the the option you select, and yeah, your destination. That's that's actually one of my favorite features. Um, but I want to go back to to the transportation for a second. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it is COVID, so I have not used public transportation in quite some time. Yeah. Um, but I'm a fan, actually. You know, in non-COVID days, I I mm -hmm. love getting out and taking the bus or the train. Um, can you set specific transportation? Will it alert you with enough time to, you know, ring the bell on the bus or or to know that that's your next train stop? Yeah, yeah. So, for example, uh, the way to to use this better if you are doing a route for now uh, in public transportation is that um, you select the, the the stop you want to reach, um, and then like um, you can set like a tracking uh, option. And so that will alert you like um, as you move towards like near that stop, it will alert, it will give you updates more frequently so that you have the time to stop, like stop the bus, right? Um, and for subway, uh, you can also have the subway entrances that we have mapped um, or extract, let's say, with, so from some um, databases so that if you're looking for transport locations, um, you can find the entrances of the subway. Um, yeah, um, are, that is how it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are um, is there integrated information within the app, or do we need a secondary app to get 
information about the the subway and train locations. Some are elevated platforms. Some are multi multi train platforms. You know, some are you know various lines are all within the same station. Uh, is that avail- Is that information available through the app, or would we need a sep- secondary app for that? You you mean having the schedule of, of the buses, right? Things like that. Uh, no, I, I so the buses are are usually easy because it's you know it's one bus stop. Um, I'm I'm thinking about um, transit systems, uh, train systems. Mm-hmm. You know, you oftentimes you'll have multiple multiple platform stations, multiple lines. Um, yeah. You know, you'll have to go from the entrance down specific hallways and you'll have two or three platform options. Is that data available through the app or would we need a secondary app for that? Yeah, so it's possible to make it available through the app uh, if we if we even like get in the route inside the station. Um, like uh, if we if we can partner up with that uh, local administration, uh, we're doing that in some cities, like uh, it would probably be at least in one city um, in a few months. Uh, but I mean, it's all this, it's kind of the same. Like if that city wants to join Lazarillo and do that implementation, we can do it, but it's just to get the right contacts and and people to make the decision. Um, so on that, on, the, on that scope, like the app can even get you to the platform, right? If we are managed, if we manage to map that location. To map, map it, yeah. Yeah. If not, if it like from like, um, if it's an allocation, we have a map. Uh, currently, we will only be able to provide the entrances. So where is the specific um, line or platform you want to reach? For now, we will not be able to provide it. Yeah. But we have unlimited, um, we have unlimited location adding ability. I, I can yeah. put my, you know, six different bus stops, five different trains, all yeah. the stores on the way that, you know, to and yeah. from that, I, that I'm interested in stopping in. And that's yeah. for the life of the app that will stay there. That will be available. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, but, yeah. For example, you could map the, the platforms if you want. Yeah. Um, uh, on the first uh, time you do it, the route, uh, you can map as many as you want. Uh, and we have like users that have had favorites, but like a huge amount of favorites. We never thought of <laughs> was possible, but yeah. <laughs> Like we've got a lot of, <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot of innovative people in our community. Myself being one, I, I've used um, <laughs> I've used the app in an in, in some interesting ways. Um, I want to ask you what is, what's some surprising and interesting ways that you've heard about the app being used. Tell us something yeah, well, that surprised you. Sure, sure, sure. So, um, well, we have uh, like a user that map a whole city. Um, so that was a, so it was a small, I think it was a small town, uh, but he actually point out every location and make it a favorite. Uh, so when he moved through the streets, he will be able to get all that info, right? Um, I mean, that's, that was impressive. Um, also, Did you look for him I, a job? <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it actually um, encouraged us to, because was one was on the early times that we said like, wow, like, user map like a whole town how he did it <laughs> like uh we should encourage this um like much more right in a way that it could be more as a crowdsource um from the same community that could enhance cities uh by their own right like uh, without asking us anything uh, that would be much better i think 
Um, we are going that way, in that direction, uh, even though it takes some time so that we can certify that, I don't know, people is not me using the, the tool, but yeah, that that's was something impressive. Also, we knew about um, students that were using this for their universities. So they will use these um, like creating locations on the university campus and then use the tracking option to get routes. Uh, that was also impressive, <laughs> I think, um, as a student, right, doing that. Um, what else? Uh, well, this was a person that has like over a thousand favorites, uh, was not the person that mapped the town, was another person that was in a way, like we thought of like the, the, the usability of the favorites is to have it by like right there, like direct access. So having a thousand, you actually need to search. So that also is <laughs> um, make us think of another ways to search through your favorites and stuff. But uh, yeah, that was also, I think, impressive. Um, and then we have like a lot of like, cool ideas to, to add in the app uh, from users. Um, there are many ideas out there like the, and then that's why we encourage people to get in contact with us and, you, and they can do it through settings. There's like a, contact us and then you can send us an email and and we yeah we read every email and yeah the, the only thing that stops us sometimes to implement things is is resources you know like uh, enough money for developers to implement um, but we have a, a team that is always moving the app forward uh, but uh, we know that we we have we need more people but uh, yeah um, there's so let me ask you. like a lot of cool ideas yeah sure that guy that, that mapped the town, let's say, you know, he's got a best friend that lives, you know, somewhere within the town as well. If they shared those individual locations one by one, would, um, you know, person A be able to share it and person B be able to save it easily yeah. um, as a favorite within their app? Yeah. Yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah. Yeah, you, share, mm. you can share any location and then when you, you open up that location, you can add it to favorites. Uh, and there is like a button like um, called favorite at favorite, and then you on the top on the top of the, the there's like the you know the bar at the top there is like a add to favorites and that's it you can add it. My no my limitation. marketing brain is always working. I'm thinking of <laughs> especially college campuses where uh, yeah. you know coalitions of Lazarillo users can you know map the entire college and then go as a, you know, as a coalition to, um, yeah. you know, the leadership and say, Hey, you know, we did this on our own, but you know, we're only yeah. going to be here for another couple of years, register and, and take this data and use it, uh, yeah. you know, and make it accessible. Same thing for, for, you know, big office buildings, transit systems. So, yeah. but, uh, you know, that's my marketing brain. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Like, and, and, and that, if someone wants to do something like that, I encourage them to talk about like, it's always better if we know about this because we can also do our efforts to contact the university and then use all your the information that you have gathered, uh, but also uh, improve it. Like, um, so for example, one of the things we're, we're, we're thinking of adding is like the ability to create routes, um, but then you, can, you will be able to create one route. But if we get all that info, uh, anyone would be able to use uh, any visitor on the like um, to the campus if it is available publicly, right? With, with our platform, 
everyone will have access to this. Um, and then they can easily move around, get to a route, like from a parent that is registering um, their daughter, for example, to a student, to anyone, um, to a professor, yeah. right? Um, and I think that, that uh, like, uh, to make it simple and easy for universities to implement is like, um, and for any other institution is one of our goals. Uh, we have moved a, lot, a long way on, on this. Like when we started, um, we realized how this should work um, in university campus and how it should work maybe in hospitals. And then like we discovered that in a way they're similar in, in terms of navigation, but not the same. And so it, we have some tweaks within our platform that we can make it more useful. Um, but at the same time, like uh, I, I probably think that this um, this year we will be able to make it like a like as, a, as an open platform that institutions could be able to just go into a website and do it, and then like pay a small subscription uh, for some services. But um, yeah, that's our goal. So as a startup, we're raising money, so we will probably, if we're successful on that, we will be able to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, that's a good time. It's a good time for me to transition into how can how can um, listeners reach you or Lazarillo with ideas, with, um, you know, with uh, uh, bug fixes or sure. uh, group ideas? And how can, are you crowdsourcing for funding? How, how are you supporting your research? Yeah, yeah. So first of all, anyone can reach to us um, by email. Um, so uh, and it's app at lazarillo.cl um, and that also you can find that email on if you go to settings option and then contact us there's that email um, so we always check that email so any any back that you have we follow up and try to fix it as soon as possible sometimes um, a bug could appear just because you have um, uh, like a different, like you just update, for example, Android or, and you are in a specific phone, uh, that could make a backdrop here that we haven't realized because there's thousands of Android devices. And then on iOS could also be, could happen sometimes, but uh, um, yeah, we always try to answer as soon as possible and get it fixed. Uh, as well as if there you have, like, you see that this missing data on your city, uh, we can also fix that. So, um, meaning that we can uh, see ways to improve that, uh, the location information of that city. Um, in terms of, uh, of, of how we are um, like uh, financing, we, we actually have clients that are companies, you know, uh, that pays for being in the app and to, yeah, to have their listing managed, to have their campuses in the app, uh, and then you got, we, it's possible to add other services like the news feature. We have government in uh, sending information. Um, and then on raising money, currently we're not doing a crowdsourcing uh, funding, uh, fund, uh, crowdsourcing uh, right now. But um, uh, uh, we are doing like a, a, a round with uh, investors, uh, like private investors for now. That it will be our one of the first rounds actually, um, and with that we have a lot of plans on on solving quite a lot of, a lot of suggestions that users have 
sentence. And so you, you think you have a good suggestion, please send us that through email because we will consider it um, to make it uh, hopefully available uh, soon, right? Um, and yeah, like uh, for now, uh, we have a lot of plans to keep on growing and, and keep on developing new features. Um, we are sending like updates um, and different things that um, sometimes you will get an update and then it will probably not have like um, like a global update, but it will be something that uh, if we join a local uh, company on your city, we can then be used by them. So for example, we're now doing like a starter plan that is for small businesses to join and then they can offer like a mark be in, the, in a marketplace within the app, like uh, right. offer different services. Yeah. And you guys, um, you recently launched a Facebook user group too, right? Facebook user group? Um, I mean, we have our Facebook we page um, that we just, actually we launched like a US, uh, La US Facebook page just now. Uh, you're right on that. Um, and then there we only publish information in English um, um, because we also have like the Lazarillo app that we translate information. Um, but it's sometimes also um, you can encounter some things in Spanish and stuff. Yeah. Byron, can we do a hand check? And did you have any other questions? Let me take a look here and see what we got. Um... I don't have any other question. I guess one question I do have for you is um, as an, as an app developer, can you tell us some of the complexities that you guys ran into in developing this app, you know, like uh, advertising it and getting it out into the community and, you know, developing it and stuff. Were there any like noteworthy um, struggles that you went through as an app developer getting this app off the ground? Um, yeah. So, um, I would say that uh, one of the main challenges is to make uh, make up like a like the beast like sustain to sustain it in, in, in on, on time like uh, to be a, a software that is first useful for the end user, get enough people to try it out and then um, get that feedback and act on it as soon as possible. Um, I would say that um, the first year and the second one was a lot of iterations talking with users a lot until we got like something that uh, maybe is not perfect, but works quite well in many cities. Um, but then like getting like this uh, direct communication with the end user is, I think is really important. Um, and, and then, and we can see that on, on like, on some of the, the app stores and Google Play, like uh, we see that um, on our site, like in, for example, on the Android app, Google Play Store, we have a, near a thousand reviews uh, from users that they had get the time to actually review our app and and also over a hundred thousand dollars there. And in total, we have 180,000 users. So we can be able to grow uh, organically to that number. Um, you know, that gives me, mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, no, I... The, the only way that we managed to do it is just to hear out um, suggestions and trying to act on it as soon as possible. That actually leads me to a question I've always wanted to ask app developers. Um, so you're my, you're my um, guinea pig. 
we yeah. often get frustrated when, you know, I'm, I'm a dedicated Apple user, but before I lost my sight, I was a, a, a huge Samsung and Blackberry user. Um, and I, I noticed it even when I had sight, but a thousand times more, you know, being visually impaired, when the actual platform, when iOS is upgraded, um, you know, certain apps that I am so used to will suddenly, you know, features will will not work the same way. Or even though, you know, the look of, you know, you know the virtual mapping look of it in my head because things are are switched around or or not announced through the uh voiceover or screen reading uh mm -hmm. process do you get any notification from from the platform um developer from apple or or other platform developers that changes are going to happen do you get notice to to you know be able to fix bugs within lazarillo itself and have you encountered that um yeah. recently well that's a good question um so the thing, so this is how it works. Um, so for example, um, Android or iOS, right, will launch a new operating system. And then they will launch it in beta, right? Uh, and that means that you need to get that uh, download from their software management system to your computer to um, simulate that beta operating system, right? And then, um, is in beta, so it actually doesn't mean that it will stay like that. So it would probably mean that if you do some changes, then it is still wouldn't you won't you won't be sure until they release the full production um, version that you have actually fixed that. Right? But it helps you prepare a little bit. Um, but still, you are not so sure. Um, so then you need to have people working on the production um operating system right for ios and right. someone at least someone working on the beta version that implies that you need to have a lot of money to have multiple developers because you'd also need to do the same for android right uh, and so that's how it, get, it can get really complicated because you also need you you need to do parallel um, development and then you're not so sure sometimes like if this change will be also um the same as when it goes to production. Um, and it, and depending on the update, you can sometimes find like they just change the uh, the language on, on, on the operating system. That means that you need to recode a lot of code. Um, so yeah, it gets tricky. Um, so that's why it could, when they, they send like a new update on the operation system, like apps can stop working for a little bit or uh, some things are not working as the same uh, and that is because um, you have this machine that is your code and they just change um, i don't know the, the, the how the pipes are made of and then <laughs> you you there there's some issues that you will encounter that only users uh, might be able to find uh, so that's why it's always better to to provide feedback um, yeah, that is actually something that is really complicated for a small startup that is um, trying to move the the feature needle um, forward, right? Like people asking for things, but then you use a lot of time just fixing bugs that yeah. appear because they they just send change the operating system, and so that's yeah a little bit annoying. <laughs> but yeah, how it works. <laughs> So I would imagine you you would ask our listeners if they are do a part of beta testing 
and they encounter things to let you know as soon as possible so your people yeah. can get on the ball. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's what we do. When we, when we find, when there is like a huge bug, like something is not working, like this is not working in, I don't know, 111, I don't know, or something like that, we rush, like we change all our priorities to make it work because we know that, yeah, only one user asked for this, but that was the one user that thought about actually asking for feedback. And then there's thousands of users that just uh, the feature is not working and they could probably be thinking like, what is this not working, right? Like it's an issue of this, uh, of the app. Um, yeah, so um, everyone that's using the app, like if they encounter something like this, we try, we will try to fix it as soon as possible. So it's Valentine's Day, and, and I'm mm -hmm. imagining that, that people are enjoying the beautiful weather in most of the country and, and uh, sharing loving experiences with their partners or friends and family. Um, if they want to ask you anything about what we spoke about today or give you any suggestions, um, how can they re reach you? And again, tell us you know where we can get information, both Facebook and, and the uh, website for Lazarillo beyond sure, our own sure. you know, stores. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, at Lazarillo US, um, also on Twitter is Lazarillo app, um, and in in Instagram could be Lazo dot app too. So that's also an option. Um, and yeah, like uh, we like also on just dollaring the app. Um, we are now um, um, like uh, sending some news. Uh, through, um, that it will be post in the news section. Um, so any if like we we add a new location on your city, you will be aware of that. Yeah. All right, um, Byron, we'll do one more hand check. And in the meantime, what's next for Renee personally? What are you hoping for? What what are highlights for twenty twenty one for you? Sure. Um, well, we have some interesting projects we just um, um, applied to. Um, so that would mean that probably we will have Lazarillo in a city in the United States. Um, that means that the city uh, will use it as a tool to enhance city buildings, parks, and other things. Uh, so that's really exciting uh, for us um, if we manage to get that uh, project together. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, that would be amazing uh, because it will help showcase what is possible. And so hopefully then other uh, cities can join uh, the moment, right? Um, and then, uh, well, one of the main challenge, like our main goals this year is to uh, make uh, like sort of the platform that we, that our team used to map locations and stuff to make it more um, as a self-service, like to, to get more institutions be aware of this, that this at least exists, uh, at least is possible and then they can think of using it or not. But for now, we, we don't have that reach that, they, that, people, that institutions know about this. So uh, I would say like my, our main goals is to get this going uh, on institutions and public entities so that at least they, they, they know about it. And with that, we will create some programs to encourage users to help us doing that. Uh, for now, we will not tell about the, the, the programs because we're just doing some testing, but it will be eventually a way uh, you as a user could uh, have the tools to encourage it 
uh, easily uh, to a institution you're working with, uh, right? You can be an employee of an institution that uh, you think this would be useful, or also as a student or as a citizen, right? Uh, so you can have the tools to encourage the, this and yeah, make it more widely spread. Mm -hmm. So you know what, we have about a minute left. I wanna thank you for coming on. And I know that you've lived, breathed, and and lived Lazarillo for the last couple of years. Make the yeah. pitch to our listeners. You know, ask them to 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 try your app and, and why they should. Make the pitch. Sure. So please try Lazarillo app. Um, it's free both both on Android and iOS. It's a tool that will that is that will help you out on your orientation and mobility through the city, but also it's a it's a channel to get, reach out and get opportunities through our section news. Um, we will be enhancing Lazarillo in every city in the United States um, during this year. So you will be expecting a lot of improvements during this year. Um, and we are people too. So if you have any issue or you need more help or you see the app, please reach to us and we will be more than happy to help you. And you can do that on app at lazarillo.cl or just download the app go to uh, settings and then you will find a contact us button to reach to us. Renee, thank you. I hope you come back in a couple of months when some of these uh, upgrades are in. This sure. has been Sunday edition. Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. I'll be back with another great show next Sunday. Thank you too, Byron. <laughs> You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, Questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.